But today, we're going to talk about what Jesus describes as greatness. There's a word that I want you to kind of focus on. It's called greatness. And uh, we're going to talk today about how to measure greatness here. Now, you know, the world measures greatness different than the Lord does in every area of our life. You know, the world says greatness, if you are rich and you're famous, you are great. You ever hear those, the rich and the famous, the stories, and they say, Hollywood, they're great, okay? Or you're a NFL player, you're great here. Or how many ever heard us uh, here lately, Tom Brady, the goat, what's that mean? Help me now, James. I don't know if you believe that or not, but, but, uh, but, uh, uh, but uh, you know, that's, sometimes that's true. Stats are true. But uh, do you ever think about how we sometimes can look at greatness in a different way than when the way the world looks? You know, today, the world's gotten into churches, and the world would look at a and I'm not being negative toward any church or anything, but they would look at a church like Joe Wolstein that has the Astros, the Houston Astros Center. It, it, it runs 40,000 people. And they would look at a small town, and, you know, we run maybe 90, 9,800 people. And if they would measure that, they would say, well, that's a great church, but then they would look at a smaller church in Africa where they have concrete benches and... 30 people and love the Lord, and people would say, well, that's just not great here. Now, you know what I'm talking about? That's the way we are measuring greatness. People say, people would say, that's a great singer, okay? Uh, they, they could, I, I thought my daughter did a good job not being partial. She's trying. She's learning here. But uh, some people would say to a professional uh, artist, they'd say, well, that's a great singer, but I know my daughter went to the nursing home several times, and she takes her little ukulele, and some of those residents up there think she's the greatest singer, amen. But my point is okay. Uh, how many of you realize that we do measure greatness differently than the world does? And if we don't change that, we're going to miss, we're going to miss that we can be great to people. We, we can be great Christians despite our size despite our maybe talent ability or anything. And Jesus is going to teach a lesson. And I want you to think about there are, every time there are teachable moments in life. How many agree? I know I see something, I, I saw something on the basketball court this year to my daughter, and I pulled her aside and I said, "Hun, you see that? Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. It, it was a teachable moment for her. And she said, oh, I got it here. I got, I got what you mean here, okay? How many of you ever do that with your kids here? You pulled aside and you said, hey, this is a teachable moment here, okay? And every moment in life, sometimes we teach people something and we don't always get it here. And you realize I could preach a sermon today and I could preach it. Oh, I'm going to preach about serving Everybody's going to go out and serve, and that's not always the case. Even the greatest disciples, Jesus taught them uh, about serving, and they didn't quite get it. And sometimes some people get it different times in life. But I want you to look at Matthew, Mark chapter 10, and I want you to skip up to verse 32 here. 
because I want you to notice here, Jesus is going to take a teachable moment here. And he says, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them. And they were amazed, and they followed, and they were afraid. And notice what happens here as they're going up to Jerusalem. He's about ready to be crucified. He's about ready to die. And he took again the 12, and he began to tell them there what things should happen to him. Now, pause right here. He takes 12 guys, and they've been with him, and they've been learning from him. I mean, they've been learning everything, how to love people, how to help people, how to serve people here, how, how to treat women. Even back in the Bible days here, the woman at the well, amen, they had to learn things that were counterculture to them. And he, he's, he's going to the cross here, and he says, time out, guys. i got to teach you something probably that is the most important thing that describes my purpose statement or my mission in life. Now, if I would ask you today, what is your purpose statement or what is your mission statement in life here, okay? Every church, I believe, ought to have a purpose statement and a mission statement. Is Ours is a church that cares, and then also it's where life meets faith here. My son and I came up with that purpose statement because we believe everything we do here in, it incorporates in the life here and incorporates our faith here. It's not that you hear a sermon and that you go home and you forget about your faith. Life and faith intersect. And that, that is one of our purpose statements at our church that we want to get across to you here, that whatever we learn, whatever we do in here, you take it out in life. Amen? And Jesus right here says, hey, I'm about ready to go up to Jerusalem, and i got to tell you something that I've told you over and over again here. Now, what's he tell them here? We go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. He shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him. They shall scourge him, and he shall spit upon him. He shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, you would think, okay, by now, he's told him this a few times. Now, how many have ever told your children something, and you told him once, twice, and your third times, and you said, I thought I told you more than once here. When are you ever going to get it? Now, how many, to be honest, you've either been told by your parents when you were growing up, amen, or you told your children, this is the third time. Aren't you going to get it? Amen. Now, this is what Jesus, he had, been told, he had been telling them over and over again. He had been telling them, hey, this, this, is, this is why I, I was born, okay? I was born to die. I was born to suffer. But my whole mission is to minister to the world here. That's my whole purpose. Now, if I were to, if I were, if, if I were to use one word to describe you, Nick, can I pick on you? If I would use one word for you to describe Brittany, and if you're in the doghouse later on, blame it on me, okay? <laughs> okay. How would you describe Brittany? <laughs> Loving. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Smart guy. Ronnie. Ronnie. How would you describe her? You've been married to her for a long time. <laughs> Yeah. 
All right. Hunter, how would you describe your mom? In one word. <laughs> Stubborn. Oh, there. Man. You're in the dog. You're in the doghouse. <laughs> you're in the doghouse. One more. Mrs. Luby. Jacob. <laughs> How would you describe him? <laughs> in tune. Amen. Now let me ask you guys a question, Ronnie. I got it It's sensational. Amen. Now let me ask you one person. I'm going to name a name. How would you describe Jesus? How would you describe him? If you had one word, one word. He was perfect, loving, he was kind. Well, one verse we're going to see here, in verse 45, we're going to skip down to that and come back. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto two. Notice that here. His whole purpose and how people would describe him here, he didn't want people to minister to him. And it's not that he didn't need ministering to, okay? We all need ministering to. I'm a minister too, okay? And if I could tell you some of the things I went through with the last two years, you all ministered to me here. Now, how many realize everyone needs ministered to? How many are teachers in here? Okay? You need minister. I'm learning that. Okay? Nurses, right? <laughs> They need ministered to, okay? They, they minister, right? But every once in a while, they need ministered to. Uh, uh, truck drivers or airplane guys, okay? Uh, they need a lot of ministry, okay? Kids, uh, single moms, right? Okay, we think of single moms. People going through sickness here. Now, Jesus is describing himself. His whole purpose life statement was here. My whole life purpose was not to let people minister to me, but to minister and to give life a ransom for many here, okay? So he's describing his whole life here. And he's teaching these people here. Now look very first 32. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they should have got this lesson here. But they were slow learners. And I think a lot of us are sometimes very slow learners. If we could just get it on one sermon, go do it here, that'd be one thing. So he's telling them here, and they're asking him the very opposite of what his purpose statement is. And he says, come unto him, saying, Master. Now look at verse 32. The word master, they're saying, I want you to come over here, master. And that, You know what that word master means? It means teacher here. That means he had taught them a lot of lessons. He just got done teaching them a lesson about how he's going to give his life for a ransom. And he asked what? We would do that thou should do for who? Help me now, folks. Do for who? Us, whatever we shall do what? Whatever, do something for us for whatever we want. Now, notice what he says right here. He said unto them, what would you that I would do for you here? Now, totally opposite of what he thinks, right? What are they asking? Would you do something for us here? Would you fulfill our desires? Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you come to church? Preacher, preach me 
a good sermon. Singers, if we, we, don't, we don't have a big band here, and, if, you know, we did. We would use some singers here, and we, we do have some musical instruments, people, and we're going to utilize them here. But sometimes people say, sing me a good song, right? Okay. Or give me a hug, okay, when I need it here. Or cook me a good meal when I do this. Now, how many of you realize that sometimes we come to the church for what we want out of it? Now, Edification is very important in the church. I don't know if you know what that means. It means to build each other up. You know why we come to church? Not for entertainment. We come for edification. That means life's tough out there, right? How many realize your job, how many jobs are stressful and honest? Say amen. When we come through those doors, we come through edification. What I want to do is I want to minister to you here, okay? I want to fulfill your needs, desires, but let me ask you a question. Can one man fill every person's desire? No. One sermon can't do this. Let me tell you a quick story. I went to a revival the other night here, and our, our sister was back here, and uh, it, it was a good service, good singing here, but... It was funny, the pastor's wife, Daya here, there was a lot of testimonies given, but Daya gave a testimony about how she was a dental hygienist here and how she was uh, at work and a lady passed out. And she said, Daya, we need you in here. Now, Daya was working her full-time job, and suddenly they said, we need you over here. And they asked Daya, they said, would you pray for this lady? Because this lady's father had a brain hemorrhage and they think she was going to die. So the whole staff is watching Daya at her work minister to one of her co-workers. And she's given a testimony about this. And I'm listening, I'm listening to this. I'm listening to this same testimony here. And they take her to the, take her to the hospital and they said, the brain tumor's gone. We don't know where it went to. Now, can you imagine she is there at work, but she's ministering to one of her co-workers here? That's not what we do at work. We come to work to earn a bunch of what? Money for who? Us. we got to pay our bills. We've got to do this here. But let me ask you a question here, okay? Uh, is your job, your work, and your ministry too? Now, how many of you have ever heard this saying here, and I heard it a lot? Do you like your job? What's the famous? It's a what? It's a job. <laughs> okay. Now, how many have heard that? Okay. Now, that is true. Life has hard times with work. But I had a nurse one time in Morgantown, and I said, why did you become a nurse? And she said, from a little girl, she said, Julie, it was a calling put in my heart. She said, I said, a calling? I thought that was for pastors. She said, no. It was a calling to serve people, and that's what keeps me going. And I thought to myself, wait a second, I got it mixed up. I thought a calling was a calling for pastors to minister to people here, but that's not what Colossians says when you go, you work for the Lord. You do it heartily for the Lord wherever you're at. Now, what James and John was doing, it was going to catch on. And notice, they didn't even know what they were asking because everything was asking us about centering around themselves here. And notice what they ask in verse 37 quickly. They said unto him, grant unto us, do something for us, not the other ten, 
that we may sit on one of the right hand, but the other on the left hand in the glory. But Jesus said unto them, he says, you know not what you ask. Now, did they even know what they were asking for? They don't even know what they're at. Where was that coming from? That was probably coming from the world. Okay, it wasn't coming from their teacher, right? Their teacher was trying to teach them here. Now, you see how the world can creep into our mind, and the world can say, like Burger King, have it your what? Way? No, 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 no. Or church is all about you here? No, church is all about we here. If you were to know what was going on across this room, I'm a pastor. I've been here for 24 years. I could name off heartbreak and things people gone through here. And even me standing up, this is the first time since August I haven't had tape on my, <laughs> taped up here. But uh, if you would have seen me yesterday, I was going like this, okay? And I said, Lord, get me in the pulpit here, you know. But my point is, okay, nobody, would, nobody knew yesterday other than my wife what was going on in my life here. Now, how many realize here you don't even know what's going on in your coworkers' lives? Are, are, and, and, and how many hate it? And I know, Julie, you had this problem during COVID and things like this. People made your job even rougher, amen? Yeah, they had no idea the stress of what people was going on, and then people would make it even rougher here. And Jesus was saying here, you want something for yourself? You don't even know what you're even asking. And I think that a lot of times people don't know what the greatest thing that they can do as a Christian to do is to serve other people. Easter reminds us that what we're supposed to be doing. When we look on that cross, that was the greatest act of service for the whole what? World. That was something that Christ did for you. And look what he says right here. Verse 39, he says, he says, can you Drink, can you drink of be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto them, we can. They don't even know what they're answering. Now, you know what the word baptism is? little girl asked me about what this is, what this is, baptism. That's not Christian baptism. The word baptism, the word baptized there means to be placed underneath here. What we do is we place people underneath the water here. But James and John they were going to be placed underneath of death for the cause of Christ. They were going to give their life for the cause of Christ, and they were saying, no, 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 no. That's not a part of the way we think. And you realize a lot of people need to change their thinking about how they look at Christianity. They need to think, what's in it for me? No, I need ministered to, but other people need to be ministered to. And they were, Jesus said, can you take this? And look what he says here in verse, he says, Jesus said unto them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of with the baptism that I am baptized with, but you shall be baptized, but to him to sit on the right hand, these are the honors, on my left hand, it's not mine to give, but who shall give it to whom it is what? Now, who in the end gives the honors away? You know, I, 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 I one time was a Christian principal, Christian, I'm sorry, principal of a Christian school. And how many of you realize I give a scholarship every year of a, of a girl, Miranda Perrick. I did her funeral. We established that scholarship. And every year I give her scholarship away. And only one person gets it every year. I don't pick it. I let the committee pick it here. But it's funny here. 
I did a I did a an awards ceremony when I was a Christian school principal. That wasn't my calling. <laughs> okay, I realized that very quickly. I'm a pastor here, but uh, uh, and it was funny. I would give out these awards. Yeah, this is a valedictorian. This is a saluted dictorian. This is this award. And people that goofed off all year that didn't try their hardest, they came up to me afterwards and they said. Why didn't I get a reward? I said, well, if we had a video camera in class when you're sleeping and you're being lazy and you're, you're not, when you're saying the dog ate my homework here and all these things here, and you're giving all these lame excuses here, you wonder why you don't get no rewards. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you going to get any rewards in heaven for watching a preacher every week and hearing a bunch of singers and say, entertain me? No. Where do you get your rewards? How do you get your rewards? You get your rewards by faithfully serving and loving people here. And James and John didn't get this here. Now, do you get your rewards just because our church is not the size of a Joel Olstein's church? Will he judge me based on that? Will Hannah get a reward uh, based on learning a ukulele and playing uh, you know, as a starter versus maybe a, a big famous band that everybody says, oh, man, they're great here. Will he reward her differently? No, he'll reward her because her heart wants to serve people here. You realize there are people that are in the ministry, they're in it for a buck. Buy my own plane for me. <laughs> Do all this for me here. And God's going to surprise some of us someday. God's going to surprise some of us that think the greatest people in the world are the ones that maybe stood behind a pulpit or did this here. And what happens right here, this starts catching on and they start getting angry here. Now look at verse 41 quickly. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus, teaching time here, called them to him and said to them, he, he's, he's comparing the world here now. You know that they which are counted to rule over the Gentiles or the nations exercise lordship. That means power over them. And their great ones, this is the unsaved great leaders, presidents, prime ministers here, they exercise authority upon them here. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or... The crazy guy in China have the best interest for their people. Yeah. I'm glad at least we don't have the best, but at least that, that thank God we have some people in common sense that have some interest for our people here, that want to serve people. I, mean, I realize here, and this is not a rabbit trail here, but you go into Congress and you go into politics clean, you go out dirty sometimes. Because your interest becomes a self-serving interest and you forget about what you do, what you do. Amen. Now, all you have to do is look around at people who say, he's great. No, Vladimir Putin is not great. He's an evil dictator. And another sermon, what I think about that, okay. But my point is, okay, people think because he's a leader, he's great. Okay. Now, he's not great because his own interest is all about who? Himself. And a lot of times we think people are great because they have a title or they're great because they're this. You realize the greatest person in this church could be the one that cleans the bathrooms with a heart for the Lord. The greatest person in the Lord could be a 
a little lady that's a shut-in now that prays, that wants to serve. So notice what he describes greatness quickly. Look at verse 49. It's 43. But he, it shall not be among you here. This is not the way we think. But whosoever will be greatest among you shall be your what? Who's going to be the great one? The one that's in charge? Who's saying, you do what I do and my interests? Or who's going to be the greatest ones? It's the ones who do what? Ministers. Now, who's the greatest ones in the church? Is this the one who has a title, who has a Bible college degree here, who stands behind the purple? I don't know. There's probably maybe you might be greater than me. But a lot of times preachers, that goes to their head. Help me now. Help me now. Goes to their head to think, I'm the most important person behind this pulpit. Well, if I'm standing preaching to an empty church today, I'm not the most important person behind this pulpit. But if I serve you and you serve me, we act as a team, right? But the world don't tell us that, doesn't it? And Jesus was telling us here, it says, he shall be servant of all here. Okay, that means everybody needs to be served, right? So was he trying to teach his people this? Now, go to John 13 very, very quickly. And I want you to think about if you had one time in life, John 13, and you knew you were going to die, and you, you knew this was the last words you could tell people before you were to die, what would you tell them? You know, I've told a lot of people, been beside a lot of people when they have died, and they've told me their last words of what they wanted to tell somebody here. But Jesus had a sense of urgency that he wanted his disciples to get something before he died. Now, look at John 13. It's the Passover meal here. It's when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, when the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world. He loved them unto death, even unto the end here. Now, did Jesus knew he was about ready to die? And was there a love there for the, those people? Now, let me ask you a question here. Is there a sense of an urgency to get across to the ones that you love here? You know, I realized in a blink of the eye how many realize kids grow. I told my daughter, you're going to be holding a baby at once, and then they're going to be having a baby at the next time. <laughs> how many realize that's how quick life goes? And there ought to be a sense of urgency, especially as the Lord's return, that we communicate we got to get busy serving the Lord and serving people. But Jesus was having a sense of urgency because did he know his hour was about ready to die? No. And so he had to teach them something here. Now, do you have a sense of urgency to try to teach your children, the next generation here? Uh, I always, when my children were little here, I took them to the hospitals. I took them to the nursing homes. I, I, I took them everywhere. I, I, I took them to drug addicts' house. I took them... Everywhere you could think. I remember many times we go, Debbie, to your, your mom's house, and we would visit, and they'd just be little, and, and they'd be ready to break a vase, and I would be like, juggler, hoops. And she would say, ah, no big deal. She's like, I got 50,000 of those and everything here, and she did. But, but uh, I told my kids, I said, I only got you for 18 years, and that's going to be a blink of the eye. 
And if I don't start training you now to serve people, it's going to be a whole lot harder to train you to serve people once you're 18 because the world's going to get out there and get in your thinking here, and the world's going to start telling you it's all in it for you, right? So I would take them everywhere because I felt there was a sense of urgency here. Now let me ask you a question. Do you feel like there's a sense of urgency to reach the next generation and teach them that we have to learn to be servants and to help people? Where's the next the next generations of preachers, leaders, teachers, whatever. There ought to be a sense of urgency that we realize we're going to die someday. And Jesus does this, so he and he loves people here, and that's the key here. If the church would love people here, okay? I love my children, okay? But I love our people, and we need to teach our people to serve. That's the greatest feeling in the world that Jesus was trying to communicate. And, and Judas, his purpose, and, and when we look at some of this here, he sets aside his garments here because Judas, what was his purpose here that the devil put in his mind? To betray him over what? Money here. Now, can the devil put something in your mind here of your purpose statement is all about making money in life and forgetting about people here? And you know what? Life, God wants you to make a living. He wants you to be happy, but he wants you to bless people here. So Jesus says, I got I to gotta teach people. So what he does, he, he has supper. And um, look at verse uh, 6, 4 for a second because we've got, got a few more minutes. He rises from supper. He sets aside his garment. He took a towel. He girded himself. He pours water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, washed them with a towel there if he was girded here. And uh, he's washing the disciples' feet, and, and only a slave would do that. There was a picture, I can't remember what president, Miss Ruby, but there was a president that he was visiting West Virginia, and I saw it somewhere on Facebook. He was down in a coal mine with a shovel and helping them dig that. I can't remember what where I saw it somewhere on Facebook, and I thought, Man, what presidents today would get down in a coal mine and, and dig it with a common man here, okay? Now, can you imagine Jesus saying, I am the son of God. I am going to stoop down. I'm going to stoop down, and I'm going to do the work of a slave. People would say, no, 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 no. That's not your job here. I like it when people, I was invited to go to the Clarksburg Rescue Mission. I think I'm going to go to that by, by a man that uh, we went over there and, and helped over there, and he's, he's over there right now, and he said, you ought to come over here. You ought, to, you ought to see what's going on in Clarksburg Rescue. There's a lot of drug addicts, a lot of people like that here. Maybe we can serve a meal, get to know people like this, and take your youth group, something like this here. And I thought to myself, hey, what would it hurt, you know, to teach the kids we're supposed to serve people. Now, can you imagine, you're one of the disciples here, and you're saying, he's going to wash my feet? He is going to serve me? And Peter says, no, 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 no. When you keep reading this, Peter says, you're not going to do this. And Peter says, if I don't clean you, then you're going to be in big trouble by cleaning your sins. And he says, wash my whole, wash my whole body. He says, no, you misunderstood it. Now, when you keep reading, he says, look at verse 12. After he washed their feet, he took his garments and he was set down again. And notice the, he asked him a question. He said unto them, 
Do you know what I have done to you here? Now, can you imagine that? He's seeing them wash their feet, and he says, Ronnie, you know what I just did here? Now, how many have ever did that to your kids or did that to somebody and said, do you know what I just did? And they're like, no, I didn't know it. Could you explain it to me a little bit further here? Okay. That's what they were doing here. He was saying, I just taught you that you're supposed to serve people. Do you know it? Now, look what he says right here. Quickly, it will be done. It says, verse 30, you call me something. You call me a master. Now, what's a master again? What's that word mean? Teacher. And he says, you're my Lord. You're the Lord of my life. You're the authority. You're the Messiah. And he says, and you say, well, for I am. If then your Lord and your master have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you a what, folks? Example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, is he, is he telling us to go over here today? Everybody line up here. I'm going to wash everybody's feet here, okay? Some churches do that here, and I'm not. if they want to do that, that, that's fine here. Is he telling us to do that, or is he telling us washing feet was an act of service that only a lowly slave could do? Now, could you do that to anybody here today? Could you do an act of service? One year, I'm going to pick on you, Miss Sadie. Miss Sadie wrote me a card when I needed it. It was just a card, but it was an act of service for me. When I had my car wreck, Miss Sadie came over, and I don't even remember what she did, other other than the next day I got out of that chair and I started preaching. She said, I'm going to, I feel led of the Lord to come and minister to my pastor who just got a head-on collision and had brain damage and maybe not preach again. And all I can remember is they're pouring a whole bottle of oil on my head and thinking, man, I don't need a Jiffy Lube to nest for my life. (laughs) And uh, she prayed the prayer over me, and she put a cloth, and I said, I feel a lot better the next day. Now, I still had a long way to go and still do, but was that an act of service? And that was a whole, when my kids watched it, that was an example for their kids that there's somebody other than the preacher that's supposed to be serving in the church. There's supposed to be a body. We're supposed to care. And that tells me there's somebody else other than the CEO or the boss that may not serve you. Or there's other people at your job that you ought to be served that you can set an example to. Now look what he says here in verse 19. We're done. I have given you an example that you should do. And notice what he says. The servant's not greater. Notice that you're not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that has sent you here. You realize here, the greatest preacher alive is not greater than Jesus. And the greatest singer that we call the greatest of all time, the goat of all time, he's not greater than Jesus. He had to get him somebody. You know, Tom Brady here, they call Tom Brady the greatest of all time here, but Tom Brady had to get somebody to get him where he had to get. He had to have a dad work with him that was a servant. He had to have somebody that was a trainer, and he had to have people here. Now, whether you like Tom Brady or not here, my point is, okay, that's what they call him, Michael Jordan. They call him the greatest of all time, okay? okay? And you're familiar with all that term, but somebody had to get you where you got you, and somebody had to serve you. Thank God for a mothers who served. Thank God for a father who served. 
Thank God for faithful people who serve in the church. Thank God for people who serve at their job here. Because when you serve, the Bible says, and I'm done, look at this, what does it do for you? It says, you happy, look at verse 17, if you know these things, if you, if you know them, forget them, happy are you if you just know them, right? If you do them. Now, you know the happiest people in the church? They're not the seven doors, grouchy, grumpy, and gripey, and whatever. How many of you have some of those at work? Say amen. You say, I work with grouchy, grumpy, and gripey. What's all those other seven doors? They're the biggest complainers at work. Can I get an amen? Big, and they do absolutely nothing to make the organization better. Can I get an amen? But you know the people who do it the most, the people who are happiest, the people who contribute.